Ah, well, believe it or not, we have finally come to the end of 1 Corinthians. Yay, yeah, yeah. Some of you, you're happy about that. It's been some tough times, you know. Uh, you felt like I've been uh, preaching right at you a few times maybe, and so you're like, okay, let's get on. Let's move on, okay. Uh, but it's been, uh, I, I don't know, it's been a sweet time for me. I, I've appreciated that the Lord uh, led me to this book to preach through this year and uh, to just uh, just the reality of trying to deal with some of, uh, or preach through some of these difficult topics, these challenging pieces that we deal with as the church and in this world and the things, the truths that God has given us and how he communicates himself to us. And, and so it's been, uh, it's been a real privilege. I, I, I've enjoyed uh, the reality that, you know, as a, as a fairly new lead pastor and getting to do this on a weekly basis preaching thing, uh, uh, it's, been, it's been a good book for me to go through because there's a lot of, uh, you know, y- 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 we have these thoughts a lot of times, right? You know, we have these things that come to our minds and these perspectives that we have about, you know, maybe about life in general or about God or about theology or how this all works. And, you know, many of us, you know, we get, you know, maybe the, we share those a little bit with our friends or, you know, our family members and that kind of stuff. But, you know, generally, we're, you know, you're not sharing with that with everyone, right? It's kind of, it's keep it to yourself more. And, uh, but, you know, as a pastor, it's a little different, right? You know, you, I, I, and, but I've been a youth pastor for 20-some years, right? And so I didn't have this opportunity to, to take those thoughts and perspectives that I had and God has developed in me uh, and, and then have to actually get up and now preach it to a bunch of adults instead of a bunch of teenagers, which, you know, I just, they don't know much. So you could you didn't give them anything. And they're like, yeah, that was great, thanks, you know. Uh, anyway, just, just kidding. I love you all. You guys are amazing. Awesome. I wish I could be like you. Uh, anyway, so it's, it's been a good exercise for me this uh, last year to, to some of these more controversial or more difficult topics, even just last week, uh, preaching on giving. And uh, I've had these thoughts in my mind for a long time, but never had to really communicate them to a wider audience. And uh, the Lord has been faithful to me in that and just helping me to process those thoughts and exposing maybe areas where, yeah, yeah, you're a little crazy there, and you need to get back to the center on this. And so it's been uh, really sweet just for me, and I, I hope it's been an encouragement to you. I've heard many positive uh, feedback at different times, but uh, not that it's all about that, but the main thing is that God has been uh, speaking to you through this book as well, and that is, yeah, we, we love that. That's a great thing. So, uh, but we do come to the end, and, and as we do, you know, Paul is, this is again as a letter, and so he gets to the last chapters he tends to do in the letters that he writes, and he begins to kind of, you know, the catch-all things, you know, the little, you know, don't forget about this, and oh yeah, and don't forget about this, and oh, and say hi to this guy, because he's really one of my friends, and you know, and all the PSs and the PSSs and all of that kind of stuff at the end of the letter, and, and I just encourage you, although we're not going to focus too much on all those little minor details that actually might be bigger than we actually think. But I just encourage you actually to read through this chapter and, and, and not just neglect uh, the sign-offs that Paul does or other scripture writers have done. There's so many sweet little things in those as well. And this is the different characters, the people that he draws out and, and mentions. And so I encourage you to do that. Uh, but today we're going to zero in really on just two verses, two verses that I think that Paul is using to, to summarize kind of the whole book. Uh, and, and, and what he really is focusing on is perspectives. You know, after, uh, after 16 chapters or 15 chapters of writing, right, it, 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 
he, he gets to the end, he's like, okay, what are the perspectives? What are the key things that, I, that I've been t- talking about, whether I've been writing about? And, and so here at the end, he kind of just summarizes it in a couple of sentences and gives it. And, and the reality is, is this is Paul's concern, is always perspective, it seems like. Uh, and we've seen this over and over again in 1 Corinthians. It's not so much about the behaviors or the things that are happening in our actions and words. It's, it's about, first of all, what we believe about things, how we perceive our life, how we perceive this world, how do we perceive God. And, and the reality is, is that, that God, uh, uh, or Paul recognizes the power of our thoughts changes the way we live. And, and I think we've all maybe been that way as well, maybe, maybe an area or a thing that we've struggled with for years and then all of a sudden, we finally get to a point where, ah, it, it becomes clear, a, a different perspective on that struggle point. And then all of a sudden, it's okay, and we can deal with it, right? And we just kind of move past it now, and, with, and peace comes. And so this is what Paul is going to do for us here this morning. But uh, he, he lays this perspective, though, out that how we perceive things uh, is, has a huge impact on how we live. In Romans, actually, chapter 12, verse 2 familiar verse, but it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. The way that we think and perceive things changes the way we live. And so we must always remember that. It's not about behavior management. It always starts with our minds. Now, sometimes our behavior change can also impact our mind, but Remember, it's about the mind. We need to understand and perceive things correctly. So let's jump in to this chapter, and I'll read it for you. Chapter 16, verses 5 through 24. Paul writes, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and for Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. 
Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus, amen. So the verses that I want to zero in on are the ones I kind of hesitated in the middle there, verses 13 and 14. And I think it's here that Paul summarizes the whole book, the whole letter that he's written, uh, to be able to kind of zero in on these five perspectives. And I think there are five perspectives that lead to a healthy church. If we want to have a healthy church, we need to have, first of all, the right biblical perspectives. And so those perspectives are uh, labeled by this simply to be watchful, to be firm, to be mature, to be strong, and to be loving. There's a phrase that has been used uh, throughout uh, the last, I don't know, a couple of maybe decades now, a familiar one, I'm sure, to you, although it's not used as much anymore. Uh, It starts with, been there, done that. And then there's one third piece. I bought the t-shirt. Thank you very much. Yes. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, right? And this is a phrase that we kind of throw out, right? And and the idea is that, you know, there's some big, it kind of starts with this perspective, right? That, that, That first of all, there's big events that happen in the world, right? I mean, big things, concerts that happen, big, cool, you know, football games that happen, you know, we'll get there later. Uh, But anyway, there's a lot of good things that happen in our world. Right? And, and you, know, we, you know, we want to experience those things. And when we're interacting with someone and they begin to tell us about their interaction, we're like, yeah, I've been there, done that, and bought the T-shirt, right? Because all these big events always have a T-shirt, right? Exactly, right? I've got so many life conference T-shirts, right? Because I've been to all of them, it seems like. Anyway, but, uh, so, uh, but it also has this kind of, uh, kind of cynical sense to it as well, right? That, that you know what? That when someone begins to kind of tell us about maybe a struggle they're having or tell us about how, you know, oh, yeah, kind of this is is what I'm going through right now. We kind of, yeah, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, right? You know, kind of like, you know, almost like we're just kind of, you know, it's it's not something that's that important or it is, it's hard, but we've been there, right? And it's kind of just kind of letting it go. And the reality is, is that we can sometimes use this when it comes to Christianity, I think some of us, in, some of us Christians that show up on Sunday morning, uh, you really are only kind of, you know, this is just an event, right? It's just, okay, yeah, I did it. Yeah, I went to church. You know, I've been there, done that, I bought the t-shirt, I'm all good, right? And it's almost like church and Christianity is just this fire insurance thing, right? You know, that I, I've done my duty, and so because I've done my duty, I'm kind of done, right? And so somebody comes up and says, oh, man, I was at church today, and, man, the pastor was long-winded. Hey, stop. I've been there, done that, get about the T-shirt, man. I know what you're talking about, right? And so we kind of, you know, this, this whole Christianity perspective of Christianity gets a little bit warped. We get kind of apathetic, begin to think that, you know, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, think about Jesus, right? I mean, that's 2,000 years ago. I mean, is, is he really coming back? I mean, it's been 2,000 years. I mean, it's probably not in my lifetime. So, yeah, you know, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's all right. Just kind of move on from it. But we forget, I think, something that is really important, a perspective that we need to have, that, that we're not made for this world. We're made for eternity. 
We're made for Jesus when he comes back. And then we get to go with him, right? In reality, the kind of flippant throw out of been there, done that, bought the t-shirt should be our experience in this world. The, yeah, okay, yeah, well, you know, I'm going through another you know, horrible thing in this world, another, you know, broken relationship, another, you know, uh, painful medical visit, another whatever, it may, well, yeah, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, here we go again, yeah, this is what this world has to offer, and we just kind of poo-poo it, and just move on from it, because, yeah, whatever, it's just, it's just this world, because we're from somewhere else, we're from, a, we're from the eternal kingdom, and we have that to look forward to. But more than that, to understand that we have a purpose for being here. That we have a reason for being here. We didn't come to buy the t-shirt. We came to share the love of Christ. Right? That we are here to be able to be missional and to be missionaries and to share what this amazing eternity is going to be like. That we would share that this is something to look forward to. Right? So we need to recognize that we need to be watchful. We need to have our eyes on eternity. We need to be living for eternity and not just look at church and God and the second coming as kind of, eh, yeah, maybe that'll happen someday. But, but have a real sense that Christ could come tomorrow. Christ could come now. What am I doing? How much time do I have to do my work? Churches who are watchful live for eternity. How many of you have a cell phone? Oh, yeah. All right, good. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, even those who didn't raise your hands, I know you have a cell phone. It's all right. Don't want to engage with me. That's fine. No big deal. I'll get you later. Now, um, maybe a little more personal question. How many of you guys still have a flip phone? Flip phones. There, there you are. There you are. Flip phones. I like it. I like it. See, now you guys are going to like this one because this, it, we're going we're to celebrate flip phones here in a minute. But anyway, yeah, so cell phones, right? The thing about cell phones is crazy. Like these smartphones, every two years, you've got to upgrade, it seems like, right? Now, I know some of you are like, no, you don't have to upgrade. But no, it, you, I mean, it, it's like it constantly, technology is constantly advancing, constantly changing. It's like, I just got a new phone, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, the old one, even though it was, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it's only two years ago. But it's so obsolete, right? I mean, the memory doesn't, you know, is not big enough. You know, the speed's not fast enough. Uh, you know, all the little bells and whistles that they add, right? It's just constantly upgrading things, right? We constantly looking for the next thing, constantly looking to change. And the perspective that our culture has is that the new is always better. Now, a new soundboard is definitely better, right? New soundboard. <laughs> definitely better. But, but yeah, you know, our culture needs to kind of set this up, that if it's new, then it's going to be better than what's old. And we're seeing this in its attack on Christianity, right? It's, it's coming in and stepping in and saying, no, we want to reinvent this God, this Christianity, because, you know, it just doesn't fit in this 21st century mindset. You know, it needs to be upgraded a little bit. I mean, that whole, you know, like, judgment stuff and hell thing, that's, that's kind of old school. I mean, that just, I don't know, that makes me feel like my grandpa, my grandpa, right? You know what I mean? That's what he believed. But come on, this is time to advance and upgrade to the new, you know, advanced 12.056, you know, version, right, of Christianity. And so we can see this and we can get influenced by that and we begin to even question our own faith. Maybe we've grown up in the church and maybe we've, you know, spent a lot of time learning the Bible and studying and memorizing it and then we begin to face opposition and 
we start to go, oh, wait. Oh, yeah, you know, that judgment thing does kind of sound harsh. I, I don't know if that sells very well. I mean, how do I tell, how do I tell my neighbor that, yeah, if they don't give their life to Christ, they're going to end up in hell. I mean, how do I say that? That's, man, I, and so we kind of start to get back off a little bit. We may still believe it for ourselves, but boy, defending that in public, eh, that's pretty hard to do. Sometimes we can begin to get a bit apologetic and even ashamed of our faith. Certainly our culture wants to shut us up. But here's the thing that we're called to. The perspective is that we need to know God. We need to know God in our heads, but also in our hearts. We need to know God with our minds, but also with our lives and our experiences with him. See, see, we're, we're called to understand and know this ancient truth about this God who has existed for all of time, before time. We're called to get to know him and know him well. And, and, and see, the thing is, is when we are faced with opposition in this, in this world and in this culture, you know, we have to be able to stand up to that. But the only way we do that is if we know God. And part of that, again, is mind. It's, we need to understand Scripture. We need to memorize Scripture. We need to understand the truths of God as they're revealed in the Bible. But understand that defending God isn't just about coming up with a logical explanation for the existence of Jesus. It's also about our personal experience. See, sometimes we're afraid to step out because we don't have that mind that is able to apolog- come up with all the apologetics to be able to defend the Bible and God. And so we just kind of pull back, totally ignoring the fact that we have a testimony within us of our own experiences with God, what he's done in our life. See, no one can argue with that. I mean, they may disregard it, but they can't argue with what you've experienced. And here's the problem is that as this culture keeps attacking Christianity, we begin to second guess our own experiences. Not just our theology, but whether we actually experience God. We need to cling to our knowledge of God that's in our head, but also in our hearts. We need to cling to the knowledge that God has communicated to us, but we also need to cling to the knowledge of our experience with him. When he performed that miracle, it was a miracle. Don't discount that. You know it was a miracle. Everyone else might discount it, but you were there. The words that God spoke to your mind in that time of trial, in the time of struggle, in the time when you really needed him, and then all of a sudden this word came in and peace came over you, you know what happened. No one else may have experienced it. No one else may believe you, but it doesn't matter because you experienced it. It's just as true and it's just as powerful as having the words to defend scripture. A church who stands firm is a church that is able to defend the timeless truths. Uh, In 1543, a guy named Nicholas Copernicus did an amazing thing. He, for the first time, said, hey, you know what? I think that actually the earth revolves around the sun. 
500 years ago, right? Yeah, a little less than that. 500 years ago, that happened, right? We're like, oh my gosh, right? But, and it took like 100 years before, you know, science said, okay, yeah, well, you're right. Okay, you're, you, got, you got it. But the amazing thing is, here we are 500 some years later, and there are still people that believe that the world revolves around them. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's unbelievable, right? <laughs> and we, know, we, all, we all know people like that, right? That's why we're laughing, right? Maybe we've been there, right? <laughs> a couple of times, right? Uh, so, but yeah, this, this idea that we're in this culture, especially in America, me, 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 it's all about me, right? And that everyone else exists to make my life better, you know? And so I appreciate you all being here so I can feel good about it. Uh, so, and, you know, it's, it's this crazy idea that, that you know, it, that if it's not true to me, or if I don't understand, or if it's not something that's happening in my world, then it doesn't matter. But the reality is, this is our culture, and it's communicating these truths to us, and it's causing us to live out this way, even in our Christianity. We show up at church, and we expect that the church is all going to you know, m- you know, meet our needs. That the church is going to bend over, its, over backwards in order to make sure that I'm cared for, in order to meet my preferences, in order to make me feel better about myself. We never show up at church thinking, okay, God, what can I do for you? This is a worship service of God, not of you. Right? It, it, we've been here before and previously in this book, and again, this is a summary of, of what we have in 1 Corinthians. But anyway, so the reality is, is our culture, I keep saying a reality is, well, no, that's the way it goes. Our culture is actually promoting this immaturity. Because, you know, when we're kids, right, we're all about the world being all about us, right? I mean, this, these are my toys. I love my toys, and they're mine, 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 mine. You can't have them, right? Oh, you like that toy? No, that's mine too, you know? And so it's all about us, right, what we want, what our desires, what, you know? And so our culture, but we grow out of that generally. But our culture is saying, no, 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 let's just keep you all children, and continue to think your whole adult life that it's all about you. But, but God calls us to maturity. I, I love what Paul writes here. He says, be a man. That's what he says. Be a man. And we're not talking about being, you know, like gender man. He's saying, grow up. What are you doing? Grow up. Be mature. Stop acting like children. Because the reality is, I said it again, uh, that we, maturity is when we care about someone else and stop caring about ourselves so much. Maturity is thinking of others, other needs more than our own. Maturity is serving others and caring for, their, for them. We're to submit to one another. We're to surrender our freedoms, our rights, our preferences, our possessions. For others, we, we give it all up so that we can care for someone else. See, this is who Jesus was, right? When he showed up, right, he, he didn't show up to get attention. He didn't, the world didn't revolve around him, even though it does. He acted like it didn't. Philippians chapter 2, right? He was God, but he came down as a man, was a servant and even submitted to death on the cross. This is, this is the example that we follow, that we would be mature. 
Mature human beings that serve others above themselves. Churches who are mature are living sacrifices. So I coached football when I was uh, middle school football back a few years ago, and I know you guys love my sports illustrations, so let's here we go. Uh, so I coached football at Chief Joe, Chief Joe Eagles, and uh, my wife was teacher there, and uh, I uh, got the privilege of, of coaching uh, football for about seventh grade football for about five years, and it was awesome. I loved, I loved the game, loved the sport. Uh, and it was fun to coach these kids. But uh, the thing about Chief Joe was it was a uh, uh, low-income school, right? I mean, really low-income school. So a lot of kids that were in poor situations, low-income situations, didn't have a lot. Uh, you know, I, I coached also at another middle school, baseball and basketball, and it was uh, not a low-income school. And so, I mean, there was, it was just the difference in the kids, right? They would show up, and they had all the, you know, things that they needed to play the sport because, their parents could buy it and, and this kind of thing. And they just have a different perspective about even the sport, right? And, and they were able to be pretty competitive and we had, you know, pretty good teams and it was fun. But at Chief Joe, partly because it was a low-income school, uh, and maybe a big part of that, because of these students and these kids just didn't have, they had, their life was rough everywhere, not just in school. But they had this loser mentality. And they've done studies on this. You know, like, people that just like feel like, I'm, I, there's no way, right, I'm ever going to win. Life is always bad. And, and this, this middle school, I mean, it, it was, the sports were usually pretty bad. I mean, most of the teams, didn't matter what the sport was, they lost all other games. Maybe they'd win one or two games, and they'd just get destroyed by everyone else. And so they just, so when I'm coaching these kids, I was like, oh, my gosh, they just, it was amazing what I had to do to try to get them to have the confidence to even try. Because, I mean, they would just get on the field, and as soon as they got hit one time, they're like, oh, okay, I'm done. And then it was hard to even get them back on the field, right? The other team scores a touchdown. Oh, well, that's game's over. We might as well just, you know, whatever. It was so quick, like where the other teams, they would fight back, you know, and even if they got down, they're like, no, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to come back and get them, right? But not these Chief Joe teams. They would just, man, they would fold so quickly. Kind of reminded me of Monday night, 49ers. <laughs> And the Seahawks. And I don't know, maybe not you, but. <clears throat> but we do this sometimes in Christianity. We, I think we're actually moving to more and more of this in the church. As Christianity becomes, as the nation becomes more and more anti-Christian, and we get people that are pushing back against us, people who are persecuting us and rejecting our truth. People are saying, no, no, what you, that you, you, what you believe is wrong. It's, it's evil. It's mean. The more that they do that, Christians are beginning to cower more and more in the corners of their homes, afraid to say anything, afraid to get involved. We're getting almost this loser mentality that, you know, I mean, well, we're, I, mean, it, I mean, even the Bible says that, it, you know, it's going to get worse and worse. So why are we even trying? And we're gonna, I mean, we're just going to get beat up. We're gonna, I'm, ah, maybe I won't get, you know, martyred so quickly if I just keep quiet. But Jesus, Jesus is the winner, you guys. Right? Right? Jesus is the victor. Jesus is Lord. Jesus defeated all of this world already. He's overcome the world. 
The battle is finished. I mean, it's, it's won already. We're still in the battle, but it's, still, it's won. We have no reason to back down. We have no reason to cower in the corner because this world doesn't like our theology. No, we need to continue to get up and continue to defend Christ, continue to proclaim the love of Jesus because it is the thing that's going to change the world. We are victors and we are going to win. We're on the winning side. It doesn't matter how deeply we get down. It doesn't matter how many times the enemy beats us up. We are going to get back up just like the martyrs of old who stood while they're burning at the stake and proclaiming Jesus the whole time. Why? Because they know that they're winners. And it doesn't matter what it looks like to everyone else. Jesus is Lord. We have to stand up. And Jesus empowers us when we do. See, that's the thing, is that even this battle we're fighting is not our power. You might go, how do I do this? How, how do I stand up to some? How do I proclaim Jesus? I mean, it's so, uh, what are they going to do to me? I mean, how, what are the things they going to say to me? And it's going to hurt me, and it's going to be mean to me. You can't do it on your own. That's why we have Jesus. He empowers us in that moment to be able to say the words that need to be said Stand up. The reality is, every time the church has been persecuted, it's flourished. Because Christians are on the winning team. We're winners. We don't give up. We keep fighting back every time. Churches who are strong have courage when opposed. Great book, uh, I've uh, mentioned it before, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. I'm uh, going to read a brief uh, little excerpt out of here. I've actually done it before, but it's so good, and it's to the point where we're at today that I want to I read it again. Uh, but in this book, he's, it's really a book about heaven, and it's an allegory, so if you like allegories, you like heaven, I encourage you to read the book, um, but uh, if you haven't already. Uh, so it's an, it's an allegory about heaven, but before he gets there at the beginning of the book, it's kind of setting it up, and, and there's this bus that takes people to heaven, but the bus stop is kind of actually, and some people kind of argue what exactly this area is at the bus stop, because it's in this city, and uh, the bus stop actually seems to be actually describing hell. And, and we're taking a bus, and I don't get crazy on the theology, you're taking a bus out of hell into heaven and getting to experience heaven. So anyway, but, so that's kind of the setting. So the, the main character is here at a bus stop, and he's talking to one of his neighbors at the bus stop, and he, he, the, the, the main character is kind of new. He's trying to figure out what all this is. And so he's, he writes this. It seems to be a bit of a deuce of a town here. I've, he volunteers, and that's what I can't understand. The part of it that I saw, the parts of it that I saw were so empty. Was there once a much larger population? Not at all, said my neighbor. The trouble is that they're so quarrelsome. As soon as anyone arrives, he settles in some street. Before he's been there 24 hours, he quarrels with his neighbor. Before the week is over, he's quarreled so badly that he decides to move. Very likely, he finds the next street empty because all the people there have quarreled with their neighbors and moved. If so, he settles in. If by any chance the street is full, he goes further. But even if he stays, it makes no odds. He's sure to have another quarrel pretty soon, 
and then he'll move on again. Finally, he'll move right out to the edge of town and build a new house. You see, it's easy here. You only got to think a house, and there it is. Wouldn't that be nice? And that's how the town keeps on growing. And what about the earlier arrivals? I mean, there must be people who came from Earth to your town even longer ago. That's right, there, there are. They've been moving on and on, getting further apart. They're so far off by now that they could never think of coming to the bus stop at all. Astronomical distances. There's a bit of a rising ground near where I live, and a chap has a telescope. You can see the lights of the inhabited houses where those old ones live, millions of miles away, millions of miles from us and from one another. Every now and then, they move further still. It is Satan's desire to isolate every one of God's creation. This is, this is the work that he does. It's always to destroy relationship. To, it's always to try to separate us from one another. And the, and the reality of this world that we live in is that this is what our culture is striving to do to every American in the world right now. I, all of us. The media is constantly reporting all this stuff about racism. And it's not that racism doesn't happen and doesn't exist, but the constant focus on it, the constant saying that everything that someone says is racist is all in a ploy to separate us. More than that, it doesn't even want us to be able to find reconciliation. That if you're labeled as a racist, you're always a racist. There's no way you're going to change. And so we're not going to have anything to do with you. We're never going to try to interact with you or engage with you or try to reconcile because you're just, it's impossible. This is the world that we live in. Satan is in control of so much. He's trying to separate us from one another. He wants us to be isolated. He wants us to not trust each other. He wants us to doubt each other's good, you know, what they're doing and what, what their motives are and all of that. But Jesus loves. And love is only done in relationship. See, God calls us to be experts in love. That we would be the be we'd be love experts, right? That we would be the best lovers in the entire world. That people would recognize that not only are we able to get along with each other, but we're able to reconcile people who don't even know Jesus because our love is so amazing. But here's the deal. It starts with our love relationship with God. We have to know Him. We don't have the love within us. We need to receive it from Him. Spend time with Jesus. Get to know him. Tear down the walls between you and him. If you've got doubts, deal with those doubts. If you've got criticism, deal with those criticisms. Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to love you. He wants to experience your love back to him. We have to do this, otherwise we're lost. We're isolated, millions of miles from one another. Starts with developing that relationship with God and then developing that relationship here. We cannot just say it's Jesus and me and never go to church and never interact with Christians. This is the, 
This is the place where that love is expressed. This is that place where that love is felt and experienced. We have to be involved in the church and we have to engage. We can't just show up on Sunday morning and sit in the corner and hope nobody talks to us. We have to engage in relationships. If you're afraid of relationships, understand that that is Satan keeping you from experiencing the love of Jesus. We cannot just sit back and think, oh, well, I'm afraid of engaging in a new relationship, and so I'm not going to do it because I've done it before and I've gotten hurt. That's a reality. It's true. We get hurt in relationship, but that doesn't matter because Jesus reconciles. We can still do it. We've got to engage and keep engaging no, many, no matter how many times we've been hurt. This is the hope of the world. When we go outside the doors, we need to then take that love to the street. See, the world and the media is trying to tell everyone that Christians are the most unloving people in the world because we preach a Jesus who is has, who, who's just. Because we preach a Jesus who has a morality. The only way we break down that wall that people have built in their minds because the media has told them these lies is by engaging in relationship, love relationship with them. If we continue to avoid those who are in lifestyles that are different than us, if we continue to avoid those who are obviously anti-Christian, they will never find Jesus. And they will always think that we don't love. The most unloving thing we can do is be apathetic, right? Do we care about these people? See, the world has fed them lies that sexuality is up for grabs and they can just kind of do whatever they want. Fed them lies that gender is up for grabs and they can choose whatever they want. That morality is kind of old school and that, you know, we, know we, we make up our own rules. That you can choose your own truths. These are all lies. But if we don't care about those people that are in being influenced by those lies, we don't have that relationship. We're just being apathetic. We as Christians need to step out. We need to get engaged. We need to be involved. Christians or churches who are loving, they fight against isolation. Don't let that neighbor isolate from you. Don't let that coworker isolate. Don't let that family member isolate. Engage. All right, worship team, come on up and close with a couple of remarks here. Just as a reminder, again, this is the final message in 1 Corinthians and the summary, the perspectives that Paul wants us. He's taught these throughout the book. But these are the perspectives. If we can get these perspectives into our brain and understand them, and I think many of us already have them, but it's just a reminder, oh yeah, this is, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be the church. And so um, just to, as a reminder of each of those points one more time, just to say that, first of all, that we... If we're going to be a healthy church, we need to live for eternity. We don't live for the things of this world. Can we, can we just release the stuff of this world and begin to just live for eternity? Stop worrying about, you know, being comfortable here. You know, it's been said, you know, it could be said that, you know, if we're comfortable as Christians, then maybe we need to ask the question, are we actually following Jesus? 
Because Jesus' whole life was uncomfortable. Because he lived for eternity. He recognized how important it was to share his love with as many people as possible and to give up his own rights and his own freedoms and his own abilities in order to go and care for other people so that they would have a chance to respond to him. If we're going to be a Huffley church, we need to defend the timeless truths. And if we're going to defend the timeless truths, we need to know them and we need to experience them. If we're going to be a healthy church, we need to be living sacrifices. Again, willing to give up. We're going to be a healthy church. We need to be courageous when we're opposed. They can't knock us down. They can't keep us down. We're going to keep getting up and proclaiming Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus loves you. And finally, if we're going to be a healthy church, we need to fight isolation. Don't let people isolate. Don't isolate ourselves. Don't let this world scare us into our homes. Let's get out. Let's continue to love people and engage them in relationship. Don't let Satan have all of these souls. Now let's fight for everyone we can get.